welcome to the new chemist. We're glad you're listening. Feel free to download this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Here on the new chemist, we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as careers, community, research, and COVID-19. We're happy you're tuning in. My guest today is Craig Noah. Thanks for joining me today. It is good to hear from you. Just briefly, I'll inform my audience about you. Craig Noah is a progressive MD, MBA candidate at Harvard Medical School and Harvard Business School. He started his undergraduate career at Georgia Institute of Technology and graduated with a 4.0 GPA. Currently, he is studying at Harvard University. Also, he is the co-founder of MediMent, a mentoring organization which pairs Harvard's medical school students with underrepresented pre-med students in Boston for mentorship. He has patented as well as he has assisted in medical device development. He currently serves as a researcher at Massachusetts General Hospital, has published and is a colleague of mine. Please welcome Cray. Good day, Cray. Thanks for joining me. Um, Welcome again to the New Chemist. Let's get started. What has been some of the most beneficial advice you have received? All right, starting broad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll also, you know, I'll I'll quickly just say, uh, David, thanks so much for having me on. you know, we go way back. <laughs> yeah, all the way to what? What year was that? Uh, Georgia Tech, I guess. 20, I think it was twenty. Yeah, I think it was twenty fifteen. <laughs> Fourteen, even maybe. Yeah. So yeah, this this is so cool to stay connected. Um, you know, on on a academic level and also just uh, on a friendship level as well. And you know, to keep to keep tabs on uh, on each other is is awesome. And I think you know, that's, that's a big part of uh, what life's about in general. So I agree. Um, I agree. Really appreciate you having me on, man. No problem. Um, yeah. So starting super broad. So, uh, so just life advice in general, what's some good advice I got you're asking? Mm-hmm, yes. Okay. So the kind of the first thing that comes to mind, you know, thinking back to uh, my Georgia tech days, since we just talked about that um, the first day of my senior design class, uh, Professor James Rains comes on stage and and puts up this uh, this slide, you know, big pie chart on on the slide for uh, in front of this huge auditorium, hundreds of students, and clicks a button and it goes and it says, uh, you know, like ninety five percent, you know, fills in ninety five percent of the pie chart, um, and it says, um, or actually, let me back up. He clicks it and it first says, you know, like four percent. And it's the stuff uh, that you know, essentially, is 4%. Okay. Okay. Um, then he clicks, oops, sorry about that. Then he clicks um, uh, the, next, um, the next little button, um, and another very small percentage pops up, essentially. And it's uh, the stuff that you know that you don't know, you know, say another 5%. And then he clicks the, ne- the button again, and the overwhelming majority of the pie chart, 90 whatever percent, 
at that point. And it says the stuff that you don't know, you don't know. And he said, you know, as you're beginning senior design, this is um, a really key concept to keep in mind, not only for this project, but just life in general. It's all about exposure, right? There are just so many things we have no idea about. Um, and to be honest, probably what both of us, both of us are going to devote our lives to, David, um, mm -hmm. we probably haven't even, you know, fully figured out yet. Yeah, and we I probably agree. don't even know exactly what we're going to be doing when it's all said and done in 10, 20 years or whatever. Um, and, and understanding that and just being uh, curious and constantly uh, reaching out and trying to get exposure in, in different worlds, different fields um, is, you know, I think one of the most important things and kind of big picture frameworks you can have. I agree, I agree. Uh, also, why did you choose medicine as a field to do your doctoral studies in? Why did you choose medicine? What made you choose it? Oh man. Um, so I, I could go on forever about this. I, I would say um, it's, it's really about uh, patient interaction, I think is what uh, drew me into it because obviously, you know, there's so many ways you can be involved uh, in the healthcare field uh, and biomedicine and, and, you know, biotechnology. Um, but really the only, uh, the only role, uh, in all of that, that actually, you know, um, and allows for direct patient contact and interaction is being a medical doctor and, um, you know, sitting across from a person, talking to them face to face about, um, what they're going through, hearing their journey, and then stepping into their, their lives as, you know, as a, as a guide, kind of an expert guide on their journey to health, whether it be helping them um, through a rough patch with the disease or resecting disease from their body in an operating room. Um, just that, you know, one-to-one -one human interaction, helping another person and, and, you know, using, I guess, expertise and experience to augment people's lives and, and help them live healthier, happier lives. You know, big picture is really what drew me to the field of medicine. Um, you know, there's a lot more, I guess, uh, technical um, reasons you could say, you know, just in terms of being in an operating room. There's no other place like an operating room that, you know, I lose track of time. I mean, three hours could fly by and I would think it's 15 minutes in there. I mean, just scrubbed in, in the zone um, and kind of, you know, just, just the privilege and honor of, you know, operating and doing surgery on someone and, and, you know, removing disease with your hands, uh, then and there. Um, and then just, you know, you get the, the adrenaline rush and you combine the technical skills, the hand-eye coordination, um, along with all the many years of training and knowledge and, and expertise and, you know, physiology, anatomy, and, um, just, it's such a holistic, um, and then also a hands-on, um, career and, um, Ultimately, that's that's what I want to do with my life is is operate and uh, as as a surgeon. So um, those are kind of the two main things I would say of of why I uh, ultimately chose medicine. Yeah, that's very good, and I'm sure you do well in that field. So um, I found out that you are co-founder for MediMent. Yes. Yeah. It's so what led you to do that? What led you to what led you to do that? To yeah, start so, that program. Um, it was relationships like me and you, man. 
yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm a few years, few, few steps ahead, you know, at, at Georgia Tech at the time, I think what I was maybe a senior, you were their freshman or sophomore. Yeah. Um, and so um, I just, I, I just get such, um, I guess, just such fulfillment out of, out of mentoring and, and out of teaching people and, and seeing their eyes light up, you know, and have that aha moment, like, you know, like I once said, it's almost like nostalgia, you know, when, whenever you're able to get a point across or help someone uh, with the framework on, on how to live, time management, study habits, whatever it may be, um, going forward in, in, in these mentoring relationships. Um, I really enjoyed them at Georgia Tech. I, you know, I, I was working anywhere from like 20 to 30 hours a week, typically in some capacity, either tutoring uh, or mentoring. And so back at Georgia Tech, um, I, I founded what's called GTPAL, Georgia Tech Peer Assisted Learning, which essentially mm-hmm. um, records um, or, or gives a platform for tutors to record concept videos and upload them. Um, basically it's Khan Academy, but for more specific to Georgia Tech classes and more interactive so students can request uh, certain videos, whether it be on a more mentoring concept, like, hey, how do I manage the study load, uh, workload, or it can be technical physics concepts or whatever. Um, And really enjoyed doing that. And when I got to um, Boston, uh, first year at at Harvard Med School, um, I realized there there was an opportunity to kind of do the same thing. So it wasn't virtual, it was a little bit different, but um, Harvard Med School is surrounded by so many uh, undergrads uh, and undergraduate uh, colleges. Um, it's one of the most concentrated places in the world of, of, of universities. So um, kind of knowing this and, and I guess running into undergrads through different, you know, whether it be some seminar or even, even just, uh, I actually ran into one uh, on a, on a bus to New York one time, the girl sitting next to me was a pre-med student. We got to talking um, those kinds of experiences um, really led me to, uh, I guess, kind of uh, bridge the gap between a lot of my classmates that were also uh, very into mentoring like myself or tutoring and got that fulfillment. Um, I think that's a natural kind of attitude to have as, you know, someone going into medicine. So a lot of my classmates were also interested. And then a lot of undergrads were interested in the area to have a mentor at Harvard Med School. And so um, I didn't really do anything super evolutionary, but just set up a platform to connect a lot of these students and people signed up with their interests and backgrounds. And then, um, you know, we connected them based on kind of similar backgrounds. And that's that's how that started. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, bridging the gap is very important because it complements the people's success, especially later down. Also, um, what have been your longstanding, let's go and be more, uh, specific. What have been your long-standing interests in the field of science? What have what have been the long-standing interests for you, specifically? Long-standing interest in in science. Yeah. Um, what themes? Tough, what's, to, tough what, to pick just one, and you know it. I I just come back to the you know the you don't know what you don't know, kind of thing, right? Because when you know, especially you know, for people listening on. Uh, different different parts of the trajectory. If you're about to start undergrad, I was talking to some some uh, rising freshmen uh, yesterday about a COVID research project, um, and you know, or if you're or if you're you know about to start your PhD or in grad school, um, 
it's, it, I mean, you just, there, you just learn so much on the job, so to speak, right? And you find out about um, whether it be like fields or, um, you know, niches within science um, that you love and, you know, want to devote your life to. So it's, you know, in terms of kind of a big picture, long-standing interest, um, you know, thinking, I guess, thinking back to my time at Georgia Tech, um, it, it really was surgery. Um, kind of my main project um, was, a, was a device to keep patients warm uh, during surgery. And, you know, because of that, I was in the OR constantly interfacing with surgeons, anesthesiologists to create this uh, prototype, this medical device. Um, and, and I would say that's continued. And now that I'm in med school, I continue to love the OR and am more involved uh, now and hope to devote my career to that. But um, again, I would just say, it's like, there's no way I could have known that uh, I really loved the operating room, right? Until I actually kind of got involved with the project that just happened to include being in the OR as part of it, right? Like when I set out on this, on this medical device project to find a better way to keep patients warm, I didn't know I was going to, you know, stumble upon like my career passion of surgery, right? Wow. Um, so I, if you haven't identified something yet, don't worry about it. Just invest in, in a project in a system and, you know, mentors around you and you'll stumble upon it. Yeah. Yeah. Being in the right place at the right time. Would you say so? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So how do you maintain view of the bigger picture in your developing career and in your life in general, especially when you encounter challenges and obstacles as many people are facing currently, yeah. how do you maintain view of the bigger picture in your career and in your life? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think everyone's wired a little differently um, yeah. with, with how much they, they like to plan and organize and try and keep everything in control day to day versus kind of going with the flow, letting things unfold, um, seeing things a little more bigger picture. So there's kind of that spectrum. Um, it's funny for whatever reason, I've always been a little more on the bigger picture, just kind of let, you know, fly by the seat of my pants into the spectrum. Um, I think that's just how I like to operate. Um, and so for me, what, what kind of helps me keep that in mind, May, may becomes a little more naturally to me, but um, ultimately is just doing what what uh, gives me energy, right? And what, what I lose track of time doing and then thinking about how I can optimize the rest of my, my life for that, right? So for me, um, medicine and surgery specifically is just such an amazing kind of nexus of a lot of the things I care about, you know? So you have the, you have the innovation aspect, um, in surgery and healthcare, um, you have that patient care aspect interacting one-on-one, -on -one, you know, with, with, uh, it's almost kind of, you know, harkens back to that teacher or mentor relationship, like we were discussing earlier, yeah. you know, the Latin root of the word doctor actually means, uh, teach or to teach. Yeah. Um, that's where the originate, you know, the word originates from. And, um, I think it makes so much sense because at the end of the day, doctors are teachers, you know, we were, that's what we're called to do. We're called to, to teach our patients, empower them, um, and help them through um, whatever phase um, of life they're in uh, to live healthier. Um, and so uh, ultimately for me, that, 
you know, surgery and medicine was an awesome opportunity to kind of combine my, my interests and the things that gave me energy. So bigger picture for me quickly became, okay, so how do I become a doctor? And, um, you know, back in undergrad, they're kind of, there's some, and, and kind of with any, you know, career path, there's going to be some things that you just have to do, right? You just have to check the boxes with, with certain things. So as a pre-med, you know, taking the organic chemistry classes and the physics classes and all the biology classes and all this, you know, uh, it, I, I enjoyed them, but I wouldn't say, you know, for example, organic chemistry is, wasn't, <laughs> my, you know, the most exciting class for me to go to in the world, right? I didn't lose track of time in organic chemistry class. Um, but, uh, you know, that might be different for you or I'm sure people listening, but, yeah. um, I, you know, it, the example, just to say, it's one of those things where I was, it's like I was doing it for a good cause, right? I knew yeah. that in order to um, achieve my ultimate goal um, and, and be a doctor and have that, you know, special role and opportunity, um, this was part of it. And so, you know, when I had to spend the long hours in the cubicles uh, on, the, on the third floor of the library, it just, you know, it was kind of easy, easy to rationalize because it was, you know, it was about, it was that that was a step in the process to get to get me to where you know I knew I would be most fulfilled in life, um, and so once now you know now I can extend the same mindset to med school. So now med school, when you know whenever there's something a phase where I'm slogging through, I mean sometimes the hours get really really long during clinical rotations. You know it's it's ultimately for a good cause. It's training me um, and equipping me with the knowledge to sa to save people's lives. Um, right. So it's it's uh, it's a privilege, but it also is, is very serious and, and necessary to know this stuff. Um, and again, the bigger picture, being a doctor and a surgeon, um, you know, helped me uh, helped me power through those times and, and understand and appreciate them. Honestly, appreciate a lot of the uh, the tougher times and realize that they're that they're necessary. Um, yeah. So kind of, yeah, kind of having an idea of what uh, of what fulfills you, how you're going to, you know, set yourself up for success to basically devote your life to that many years down the road and putting yourself on that path. And then when things get tough on that path, knowing um, it's, it's necessary and, and all for a good cause. Yeah. And also going back to what you said, um, you initially said uh, the origins of the word doctor is tied to teaching, correct? The Latin root, the Latin root of the word doctor, yeah, means teach. Yes. So, and, yes, and that's that's interesting because you know I was listening to a discussion by one of the great musicians, Leonard Bernstein, and he made a, a critical point. He said, "When I teach, I learn, and when I learn, I teach." So I think mm -hmm. those things are really tied and connected. I think those are interesting how they play and the dynamics how they work together. So, oh, it's so true, man. Yeah, because you know, along that same um, point, um, one of the ways I've been able to reinforce concepts for my personal development and personal growth, whether it be in organic chemistry or physical chemistry or biochemistry or whatever discipline of chemistry I'm working in, is through tutoring people, and that exactly. plays a yeah it plays a large part and it complements well. So, you want to know my yeah on that note you want to know the best the best preparation um medium or modality uh i did the single best uh for preparing for the mcat 
Choa was tutoring. Okay. Wow. Wasn't the prep books, wasn't the Kaplan cube. Although I'm not saying those things aren't important. They are, and they have their place. But for me, that's, that's when I really learned those concepts before I even started setting for the MCAT, you know, tutoring was such a big part of my life. That's when I really, um, you know, kind of made my foundation in those core science classes by teaching other people. That's how I really learned them. So that's very important. Get another example. Very important. So, um, Craig, how have you sought or found the right environment for you to thrive scientifically and intellectually? How did you find it or how are you seeking it? Yeah, so, so again, it's one of these catch-22s, right? It's not because if you knew where to find it and knew how to find it, then it's like, it, you know, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be challenging or hard. You wouldn't learn something along the way, right? Yeah, it's true. Um, you know, but the, at the same time, you still need to find it. <laughs> so yes. it, it's, it's like, it, it's kind of this, this tough balance in Catch-22. Um, and, and ultimately, I think the way, the way um, it's worked out for me is just investing uh, in a project or um, a, a situation, so, something that has real world impact or value. Um, and, and really, you know, if, if it, if it piques your interest, really just doubling down on it. Right. So for example, back at Georgia tech, um, I wasn't, you know, doing a bunch of different things, you know, all over the place with, with clubs or this and that extracurricular activity. Um, I, I really just had a few main things. One was, was teaching that, you know, we've talked a lot about already. Um, and then one was, um, medical device development. And then, um, one was research. So those were my three things all throughout undergrad. And I had one research project, um, my entire time throughout undergrad. And, you know, one, when I started it, I didn't really know I was going to go. I kept, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, fully, fully committed. It's kind of, you know, testing the waters, right? It's like the stuff you don't know, you don't know, right? I didn't know if I was going to like research. So I had this opportunity. I'm giving it a chance. A few weeks in, you know, it starts to pick up. I really like it. And just, damn, double down. I mean, spent spent so many hours in the lab, um, really enjoyed my mentors and the project I worked on, uh, right? And through that, Mm-hmm. Um, is where I stumbled upon this very optimal environment for me. Um, you know, the, the research lab that I was involved in had neurosurgeons, um, you know, consulting for a lot of the projects. So I was, I was interfacing with surgeons every day. Um, you know, in the project I was working on also, you know, we were consulting with a lot of doctors and surgeons. Um, and, you know, w- one of these surgeons ended up writing my rec letter, uh, to med- one of my rec letters to med school. You know, I, I formed great relationships with these doctors. They're all at Emory, excuse me. And, um, and you know, I went to the OR with them. I operated uh, with them and, and just got so much exposure um, and, and was a part of that environment, like you were saying, just, ha- just such a, um, you know, just a great environment for, for learning and inspiration and, you know, talking with people a couple steps ahead of me, mentoring people a couple steps before me, just starting research, that kind of thing, right? So. Again, it wasn't, you know, I, that's one of those things where I, I end up kind of joining a lab to work on this neuroengineering project. 
and then fast forward, you know, I end up, um, you know, having this incredible relationship with uh, a neurosurgeon at Emory, right? That, that was not something that, that I really could have ever projected or thought would happen, right? And so that's just a testament to, um, you, you want to kind of have a few different lures out at any given time, right? You're testing the waters. And when something bites, when something catches your attention, man, you just go all in, right? And, and you can kind of back off uh, on the other things to, so you're not spread thin and just really, really, really double down on, um, on the things that are important to you and, and, and that pique your interest because that's when they're really going to blossom, right? That's when you're going to kind of get those next level uh, connections through those experiences and next level opportunities, right? If you're kind of half doing a bunch of things that sound cool, I mean, it might look good on paper, but, but you're, not, you're not really fully invested enough into any single one of them to get kind of those 5% type opportunities, right? Or the random, you just happen to be in the lab when the neurosurgeon walks in and you start talking kind of opportunities, right? A lot of it's serendipity, but it's serendipity because you're doubling down on that opportunity and so invested, right? So th that's, um, you know, finding those things, having those lures out in one, one bites, um, really going all in on that is, is uh, I guess, kind of the framework that I would, I would encourage people to adopt. Yeah, that's good. That's very good. Um, yeah, it's good to have a wide net and to be focused at the same time. So, um, what have been? I know you're you're still a a, a budding medical doctor, um, but what have been your most effective and impactful ideas to date? What do you think? If you had to give a summation. Or if someone has told you, uh, I, I'm just curious, what have yeah. been your most impactful uh, or most effective ideas to date? What do you think? Yeah, so so uh, normally I, I feel like this question would be kind of tough uh, for me because, I mean, you know, for one, like you said, I'm, I'm you know, a fourth year medical student. So how much impact I, people at all ages can definitely have a huge impact, but you know, yeah. it's like, I'm still learning the ropes basically. Right. So I'm not out there pounding the pavement, trying to do this like very impactful research or working with patients directly yet. Right. Um, but um, to answer your question, I've, uh, and, and I haven't updated you on, on this yet, David, actually. Um, so back in March, you know, when things were really picking up with the pandemic, I, uh, and again, this is another one of those examples, kind of like, just kind of stumbling upon us, upon something and then really doubling down. Um, you know, one of my classmates, um, essentially, um, so how do I sum it? One of my, one of my classmates is, uh, working with a nonprofit here in Boston and they held a hackathon and in the hackathon, they found that, um, there was a lot of data, um, for the pandemic specifically policy data right so covid policies you know for example you know the shelter in place orders the non-essential business orders those kind of um or closures i should say so those kinds of things data on those policies um was was essentially non-existent you know at a granular level so at the county level they have data on those things at the state level but the state it, it's just too low resolution right you're you at the state level, the counties are doing their own things, right? Like just because the governor says something doesn't mean the county's gonna abide by it. Um, so anyways, that was the motivation for the project. It's like, wow, there's this complete lack of data um, at the you know granular county level for these policies. And yet vaccine's gonna take forever, 
right? It's still in testing. Vaccine's not going to be available for months. Medications, right? There's still no medication you can give to cure people of, of COVID, right? And even if there was, it's like you're going to have to go through clinical trials, right? So those pharmacological interventions to stop uh, coronavirus, we knew were going to be very far out. Um, so the only and most you know important things uh, people were doing and anyone in the world's doing is these so-called non-pharmacological interventions, NPIs, like shelter in place, social distancing, masks, right? These are the policies. These are the actual interventions that are stopping spread around our country and around the world. And yet we don't have data on it, right? So um, it, it's, it, was, it was kind of a, um, I guess, surprising finding out of this hackathon. Um, but long story short, that's a project I got involved in to try and remedy that situation and, and, and fill that gap. How can we um, innovate I guess, uh, ways to get this data because it's so granular, it's really hard to get. It's not state level data where you can just code an AI bot to go come through the internet and grab the data for you. You can't automate data collection whenever it's so granular like this at the county level. Um, and so it was a big team effort. I, I really enjoyed you know, trying to solve this problem that could potentially have real world impact if we did, right? And so I doubled down it became almost a full-time job for me these past three to four months. And the, you know, the quick summary of the form it took was, um, we ended up doing a, a novel crowdsourcing method. It was all volunteer based. And it was incredible to see just hundreds, you know, the so hundreds of volunteers around the nation that have uh, volunteered their time to do data entry and get this data on these counties. So I've been leading this huge crowdsourcing effort that ultimately um, we're now at over a thousand, with data over a thousand counties, um, it's, it's by far the largest data set of its kind and researchers around the country are now using this data set, um, to, you know, for, for predictive modeling and to inform policy decisions. Um, and so it's, you know, to actually see this product, this data set being used, um, has been incredibly rewarding and made kind of all the, the whole hard work and, and, um, many, many, uh, times of confusion, um, over the past few months worth it. And that's what I say my most impactful project is uh, to date. It's been, this summer has been absolutely incredible. And excitingly, last thing I'll say is um, the, the Department of Health and Human Services um, actually reached out to us and uh, essentially asked if, you know, the government could take this data set and post it on their COVID-19 data hub. So the entire nation and internationally, you know, researchers as well um, can use this data set now. Um, and you know, being endorsed by the federal government, I guess was uh, was was a total pipe dream three four months ago. But um, you know, because because I was in the system, had a great group, and doubled down on something that I really enjoyed doing. It was a challenge. You know, it, it really blossomed, and now it's having a lot of impact. So, long-winded way of uh, answering your question. Sorry about that, but I just uh, I just wanted to have all the details. You know, not only for the podcast, but also just to fill you in. That's what's been keeping me so busy lately. So. Yeah, that's very good. That's very good. So my last question for you. Um, what keeps you going and what keeps you encouraged and motivated? I mean, it's all the challenges that people are facing and you probably have faced as well. What keeps you going and what keeps you motivated? Oh, man. <laughs> one, just name, you can name one thing. You don't have to name all. You can name like one thing. Yeah. You know, one, one thing 
I'll say, and maybe this is yet another reason, uh, it keeps coming back to this, but another reason I, I, uh, I just love, you know, mentoring, tutoring that, that world so much is, um, you know, you're just, uh, it, it's like I'm indebted to so many people that played that mentor role for me, right, mm-hmm. over the years, even all the way back um, in high school, especially college. You know, a medical student at Emory, Kyle Pate, took me under his wing. Uh, my sophomore year and I can honestly say if it weren't for him I would definitely not be here I would I would maybe be I don't even know if I would um, have stayed with biomedical engineering Mm -hmm. maybe I would have transitioned out of the pre-med route I don't know right but it's people like that all throughout my life you know the the neurosurgeon I talked about from from Emory and, and, and lab and many other people along the way that have just poured into me um, you know, and, and also including my family and, and my parents, um, I guess everything, uh, adds up and kind of culminates to, to motivate me to, uh, to pay it forward, so to speak. Um, and so looking for ways, um, to do that, um, is, is really fulfilling. And honestly, um, I think, I think partly my duty, I think, I think as humans were wired, uh, to work and do useful work. And, and, you know, that's, it's, it's good for mental health. It's how, it's how it's meant to be, uh, staying constructive. So all those things combined and then paying it forward, you know, kind of having that attitude, um, I, I think is, is one of the big things that, that keeps me motiv- motivated. Oh, that's very good. That's very, it's very timely, very timely. So thank you again, Craig, for joining me. It's much appreciated. Yeah, David, so good catching up. Um... Thanks for listening. We're glad you were able to tune into this podcast. Once again, this is The New Chemist, where we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as the other sciences, careers, community, research, and COVID-19. Thanks again for listening. Note, the views on this podcast represent those of my guests and I.